Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Look what free speech has gotten you, right? And, and if free speech is going to bring a Hitler to power, are you still going to defend the rights of those people to speak? If you talk about the things that affect your daily life. The secret to being a good actor. I don't really care, actually, whether Britain remains Britain. His dad was actually murdered in front of him. Marine Le Pen has changed the Pont National. If it's like kind of like a documentary investigative reporting serialized true crime, it often gets into questions about the justice system or the media. In an uncertain world, there's always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people for the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to vote. Good question. Really good question. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem... said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. If you're listening to this podcast, and you are, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com, which is spelled S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com, and simply put in the code DTD when purchasing a pair of headphones. Oh, and they make the perfect gift for Christmas. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. At least normally that's what we do. I'm Royfield Brown in a pre-Xmasy San Francisco today. I'm joined by Tim Marshall in London, who is the editor of the What and the Why.com. And we're doing our, our monthly look at world politics, world affairs, which are away from the special relationship. What have you been up to, Tim? Oh, um, I've just finished my latest book and sent it off to the publishers, which is a fantastic feeling. 
Um, I thought you were say it was a fantastic book. <laughs> 16 months modesty abounds. <laughs> it's 16 months in, the, in work, and then you send it off and go, oh, and then you start worrying. What's it about? We, uh, we've done geopolitics in your first one. We've done uh, flags in your second. So what's this one about? It's a trilogy in four parts. Um, actually, it's my fifth book, <laughs> um, but it's the third in a trilogy. The Prisoner's uh-huh. Geography was about maps and nationalism and geography and their effects the flags was pretty much similar the effects of nationalism and and the national uh, symbols and and how they can push your emotions and cause you to act certain ways and you know the stories woven into the flags and Mm -hmm. this this third one was that pun intended also about um identity and nationalism is called divided coming out in march here it's coming out in the states as well in germany and italy and it's just simply about how there's been a massive explosion of wall building and fence building right across the world. More and more nations, for example, India, putting up huge fences, um, Saudi Arabia, massive fences um, on their borders. And it's just um, happening everywhere. And so I go into why and also the other divisions that there are within those countries and societies. OK, so us Nambi Pambi uh, liberals always think that walls are a bad thing. Um, do you come to any conclusions as to how we can actually, dare I say, start tearing down those walls, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan? <laughs> um, yes, um, that we learn to accept our differences and we learn to rein in our nationalisms and certainly our, our superiority complexes. And once we've learned to do that, then every single wall and fence in the world can, can come down. Until we do that, um, I think it would be quite foolhardy to drop all of the borders. Um, they are a sad reflection on humanity. Mm. Um, I suppose I should ask you about the border between Zimbabwe and South Africa. That'd be a neat link. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of immigration, hasn't there? Uh, I think one million Zimbabweans yes. now live in South Africa. Yes, the, there is there is a fence. Um, mo- most most of um, Zimbabwe's neighbours try to fence them off because um, they know it's just been so terribly, terribly ruined by the Mugabe, Mugabe dictatorship that so many people try to get out. And, of course, the, the neighbours struggle to accommodate them. Uh, and there is an electrified fence on the South African border, but many, many people do manage to get through. And, unfortunately, they then meet a huge amount of racism. Um, f- the North Africans, all the way down, everybody that makes it to South Africa, I'm afraid, meets a huge amount of racism from the black Africans, black South Africans, because, you know, they're in competition for jobs. And let's face it, most people in South Africa remain poor and they take a dim view of these outsiders. Mm. Well, that is our neat link for us to talk about Jacob Zuma and uh, South Africa's scandal hit president. All right, thank you so much, Lee. That, of course, is certainly our top story here on Morning Live this morning. Cyril Ramaphosa is the new leader of the ANC for the next five years. The announcement was made last night at the ANC's 54th National Elective Conference at Nasrik. It was a much-anticipated announcement, putting an end to the bitter campaigning by the rival factions. We declare as the new president of the African National Congress. 
while Cyril Ramaphosa enjoyed support from a greater number of branches as compared to Dr. Ngosazan Adlamini Zuma, the voting patterns varied from one position to another. Jacob Zuma, South Africa's scandal-hit president, may not see how his second term now that the African National Congress Party has elected Deputy Cyril Ramaphosa as its leader. Tim, is the time up for Zuma? Yes, because he's a lame duck president now. Uh, basically, it's a little bit like in China. Uh, what's most in par- important is who's in charge of the party. And Xi, of course, is in, in charge of both the party and the presidency. But the most important thing is the party. And it's the same in South Africa. If you rule the ANC, you rule the country. So although Zuma remains president, his power has just drained away. And so Cyril Ramaphosa immediately becomes the most important political figure. Now, there's going to be, what, about 18 months before the election? So either he'll see out that 18 months uh, making decisions behind the scenes, or, and there's a way to do this, he will persuade Mr. Zuma to step down early. He'll take over as president and then stand for the election later. But the ANC is split, isn't it? Because there were some 80 new NEC members yeah. uh, elected to, to the conference and Ramaphosa failed to secure a majority of his supporters to that committee. So um, it's not as if it's an overwhelming uh, vote of endorsement for Ramaphosa, is it? No, but he, he's got the top jobs and he's now going to make sure that you know all the positions are filled with people that are going to support him. I mean, look, basically the way out, Zuma was, did his usual sort of comic turn at the ANC conference, um, calling for an end to corruption. This is a man who's got 800 allegations of corruption against him. Most of them were conveniently dropped in order for him to become president. Now they potentially could come back. So the way out is that Ramaphosa says to him, it's about time you stood down and don't worry, I won't come after you. I'll make sure that these hundreds and hundreds of corruption charges just go away. At which point Ramaphosa uh, solidifies his control. So, you know, there's ways and there's means. And, and this, this guy, I think people sometimes underestimate Ramaphosa. Um, he was supposed to be president the first time round after Mandela, but Mbeki uh, outmaneuvered him. But he's a very, very patient man. He seems to be quite a decent man. He's made just a multi-million pound fortune, dollar fortune, I should say, uh, in the intervening years. So he doesn't need to rob the people the way that Zuma has. Uh, So he can actually concentrate on being a decent president with any luck. And I do think he's got enough power to to consolidate uh, his, his power platform. So what you're saying is uh, a millionaire businessman would make a good president. <laughs> I've heard that before somewhere. I think it helps in the context of politics if you have no need to use your power to enrich yourself. Ramaphosa has run on an anti-corruption ticket. So surely, if and when he becomes president, he would need to pursue Zuma in the courts. He can't do a back a backroom deal if you're saying you are the clean candidate i realize at this point royfield you're simply playing devil's advocate because i know that you know (laughs) enough about politics in south africa to know that of course he can simply ignore it and choose for it to go away if it suits him um that's the way things are done and if that's if that's the price 
fine. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the previous lot did the deal with Zuma that they would drop these hundreds, and I think it's about 785 charges of corruption against him uh, to allow him to, to become president. And then during the presidency, when he spent all uh, taxpayers' money on, on his private swimming pool and the stable for all his horses and all the cars and the garages, etc., he he said, oh, goodness me, really did some of the taxpayers' money go to that? Oh, what a mistake I've made. I'm terribly sorry. And paid some of it back and, and I, moved on. Look, that's the way it works. There's a deal to be done. I, I thought that. I thought that was all the money from his friend, the Guptas. I didn't realise that was actually state coppers. <laughs> it was partly state coppers. Now, the Guptas, uh, that's a bit of a problem for um, for, the, for, for Ramaphosa uh, in the interim period and when he probably becomes president because they are very, very powerful. Um, you make them your enemies at your peril. Is this a true anti-corruption drive or is this pre-electioneering by the ANC? Because its vote has been dwindling ever since the uh, its worst election after apartheid. It's got what a 62% majority, yeah. um, which anywhere that would be a whacking majority, but it is declining. So is this just pre-electioneering to regain the confidence of, of the voters? I think some of it is exactly that. And let's face it, the ANC executives have enriched themselves at the, at the expense of, of the people over the past 25 years. But there are people, genuinely good, decent politicians within the ANC, and it is quite possible that Ramaphosa is one of them. And as I said, he's an extraordinarily wealthy man. Um, you know, he doesn't need, he can root out corruption without harming himself whatsoever. And I think that they, they've realized that the game's up, that the automatic vote for them, as you say, is dwindling. They don't want it to dwindle any further. People really are fed up. I mean, there are structural problems in the South African economy, which are not only to do with corruption, but certainly the corruption does, does hold them back. But they've, they've got problems. How do they, they can't take the wealth. Uh, from people the way they've tried to do in Zimbabwe. And we've seen how that's gone, you know, inflation at thousands of percent, mass unemployment and unrest. But at the same time, they don't seem to have enough of a successful economy with which to redistribute the wealth into the, into the educating and, and uh, modern technology for the people to have decent modern jobs. And they are caught a bit. And that's his bigger challenge. Corruption... Corruption is a challenge, but corruption is partly optics. It's partly theatre. You know, you have to you have to show you're a decent person. The actual damage to the economy is there, but it's not the most important thing about the economy. Mm. In, I don't know a lot about this, so this is truly a question which I, I don't know what your answer is going to be. But in in terms of African countries and doing business in African countries. Where does South Africa come on that corruption scale? If we say that Nigeria has a, a terrible yeah. reputation, where does South Africa sit? I, I'm sorry, Rafael, I simply don't have the figures to hand. Um, it's one of the better ones, but you know, you're starting from an extraordinarily low base. I, I don't have the figures, sorry. Mm. No, no, no worries. And as I said, and I, I don't know the answer. I absolutely didn't know the answer myself. Um, my gut is that it, 
South Africa is relatively um, clear. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Zambia, yeah. you know, again, is one of the ones that's relative to Nigeria uh, is, is better. Um, you know, they do exist, um, but it's from, starting from a low base. I mean, every country in the world is corrupt. You can go look at the corruption index. There's a country corruption index mm-hmm. that you can find on the web um, if anyone's interested in actually finding out who is listed where. Scandinavians are pretty transparent. They all seem to be. Yeah, at the they're, top, they're always they? at the top and have been for decades. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was a message of defiance from Warsaw to the European Union. Poland's president signing into law two bills reforming the judiciary, something the EU had warned against, saying the changes threatened Poland's democracy. I think we're introducing very good solutions in Poland. I believe we're introducing solutions that will improve the justice system, that will make people finally regain faith in justice, regain faith in Polish courts and regain faith in the justice system. Just hours earlier, the EU had taken an unprecedented step to try and stop Poland forging ahead with the controversial reforms. It launched Article 7 of the Lisbon Treaty, a process that could lead to Poland losing its EU voting rights. Sadly, our concerns have deepened. Uh, Within a period of two years, a significant number of laws have been adopted, 13 in total, which put at serious risk the independence of the judiciary and the separation of powers in Poland. 
Since coming to power in 2015, Poland's right-wing law and justice party has been at loggerheads with the EU over its drive to tighten immigration and media laws. Analysts say the EU's latest move, though, is unlikely to worry the government. While Brits are focused on Brexit, the European Union has launched unprecedented disciplinary measures against Poland, saying its judicial reforms threaten the rule of law. The EU states that 13 new laws in the last two years have allowed the government to interfere significantly in the judiciary, so it has taken disciplinary measures. Tim, what exactly are these? Poland and the Polish public accept that their judicial system is creaking and has inherited too much from the communist years. Many of the the senior officials in the judiciary are from those years, and we all know how corrupt uh, the place was then and to an extent remains. So the government is now trying to step into the judiciary and saying we've got more control over it. There are many uh, examples, but one of them they are saying, right, we are going to lower the age at which you must retire. Now, that might sound a good idea, but it's one of the reasons they're doing it is that if they can get rid of a whole tranche, a whole level of judges, secondly, they want the power to appoint the judges themselves. So consequently, you get rid of all the old school ones and you appoint the ones that you like and are friendly to you and your party. Now, that's just two examples of many that they're trying to put through. That is, it is considered by the European Union against the spirit uh, of the EU law and of the whole raison d'etre of the EU. And so they've enacted Article 7 against uh, Poland, which is simply, we agree there is enough here for us to discuss whether we will censure them in the future. So it's just a little stepping stone towards that. The next move after that would be to agree that they would then discuss um, actually uh, suspending Poland from the EU, suspending its voting rights. For that, you would need 22 out of the 27 member states. I'm not even sure they would get that. And then the actual vote... I think you need um, all, sorry, I said 27, the Brits haven't left yet. You need all uh, 27, including the Brits, but not Poland, to vote to suspend Poland. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, not because Poland is not necessarily in the wrong, but because the European Union is running scared at the moment about breaking up, and I don't think would take such a drastic measure uh, which could cause Poland to start looking for the exit door. And it's the same story with Austria at the moment. So the European Union is changing because the nation states know they can get away with more now because the EU is so frightened of breaking up. So this row underlines an escalation of tensions between Western countries and Eastern. And Austria is kind of a a funny one kind of in the middle. Um, So basically we're talking about the former communist countries within the EU kind of flexing their their muscles and invariably the governments which are trying to do this are all kind of somewhat right of center so we've seen issues around media independence and immigration in hungary for example um is the notion of liberal democracy under serious threat oh yes parts of eastern europe yeah the the, the hungarian prime minister is openly says uh he's quite happy with an illiberal democracy. He quite openly says, we are uh, a right-wing party. They're not extreme right, although they are allied with extreme right. We are a right-wing party. We were, we, we had our platform. We were voted in. Consequently, 
uh, we have the the right to do this, regardless of what the EU and Brussels says. And this is a trait that is now emerging in the Eastern European countries. For example, the Czech Republic and Hungary have both said to the EU, you can take your immigrant uh, refugee quotas and stick them. We are not having any of them because the Germans had this plan where they would be shared out equally amongst the 28 states. Those two East European states said, no, you're all right. We're not going to do it. Which brings me back to this thing about this, this, how frightened the EU is. In Austria, the uh, right-wing party that uh, is, is the party of the Chancellor, 31-year-old guy, is now gone into coalition with the Freedom Party. Now, the Freedom Party, its roots are in people that were Nazis, and its roots are in people that were openly, uh, just a couple of decades ago, anti-Semitic and making an apology for the Nazi past. 17 years ago, when they joined the coalition, the FP, the EU at that point immediately censored Austria, uh, had a, a bunch of sanctions against Austria, until the people were kicked out of the coalition government. That's only 17 years ago. Now, the EU is doing nothing about this because it daren't upset the population of Austria in case Austria also starts looking for the door, the exit door. And so the very values of the European Union get somewhat diluted or overlooked at the moment, as they're desperately trying to stay together as one single unit. Okay, I'm going to go go back a slight step here, Tim. Um, so it's one thing for us to be able to track and to plot the move from being an ex-communist state to a drift rightwards. You know, you rediscover yeah. your number one. Uh, you want to you want to have legitimacy, so you join the EU. Then. Point two is you want some kind of level of national uh, independence and sov- sovereignty. Yes. So you drift rightwards. Uh, and and that, that is kind of the narrative that we have in Western Europe, looking at Eastern Europe. And, and, and even then, the narrative isn't at all blanket because the Baltics aren't like that. Um, what's happened with Austria? Why is Austria so peculiar? Because Austria has always been a capitalist country. And of course, after the Second World War, it was neutral for a while with the, the four um, allied victorious powers occupying it. And it wasn't a part of NATO, but it, but it was part of the Western world. So why has Austria become so uh, right wing and so polarised? Immigration. Uh, can we expand on Sorry, that? you asked me the question. Very powerful one-word answer. <laughs> you asked me the question, <laughs> and I answered it. That's what it is. Uh, this increased rightward drift, which they'd got a hold on 17 years ago uh, and, and dragged themselves back towards the centre, since 2008 and the financial crash, and since the massive influx of refugees and migrants uh, in the past, well, in this decade, their politics has moved from what was already a very conservative country, a very conservative country, uh, has moved even more rightwards to the extent that they allow into their coalition uh, a party like the Freedom Party, which in the United Kingdom, nobody would touch them. Uh, In several EU countries, nobody would touch them. Uh, You've seen already Mrs Merkel in Germany says she will have nothing to do with the AFD, uh, which won 93 seats last month. Uh, in the German election, and 
I promise you, the Freedom Party is to the right of the AFD in Germany. So that's how far things have slipped as the population and the populations in Europe become increasingly nervous about seeing uh, what is familiar to them changing at a relatively rapid pace. And it's it, the knock-on effect is with the politics, well, from the Med to the Baltic, it's, it's happening everywhere. So how optimistic are you with um, looking at the future of the EU? It seems to me that you're saying, boy, this thing expanded mm. too far, too fast. These countries weren't, right, weren't ready for EU accession. Um, I've been a supporter of the European Union my whole life. I think it's a great idea. And I think it has achieved uh, the most uh, vibrant, uh, peaceful uh, and widespread geographically, if you're looking at the region, uh, space ever in the in the history of mankind. I think it's a magnificent achievement. However, <laughs> you knew there was a but coming. However, <laughs> I think the ideology of making it one state, one people, one sort of you know Europe land is ridiculous because it's uh it's not in the psyche of the different peoples and they've tried to engineer it but it hasn't really worked and it it was working a bit to the extent that when we were all quite well off uh the pooling of the sovereignty didn't seem to jar since 2008 when the economies have crashed and simultaneously, there's been a huge influx uh, of peoples coming in from elsewhere. Those At that point, many people, not all, start to think to themselves, hang on a minute, it's not working for me, this EU thing, this pooling of sovereignty. When you've got 50% unemployment amongst the youth of Spain, it's understandable, uh, even if not agreeable, that a young Spanish person thinks, hang on a minute, this isn't working, therefore, why should I support it? Oh, for these airy, fairy ideas that we're all one people. Well, no, I want to take control of my own economy, my own immigration, this, that, and the other. And people, dr some people drift rightwards. And you have seen the rise of the right-wing parties. And I've been <laughs> arguing with people for years. I keep being told it's peaked. And then a few months later, you get the next election and the vote goes up. And then, oh, well, no, it's peaked now. It still hasn't peaked. In Western Europe, and I'm going to be, I don't want to be controversial here, but I'm going to call that core EU. It's true. Right. All right. Good. All right. Um, we haven't had one of those right-wing parties come to power, have we? Not to power, no. But, but I was told that the French had halted the rise of the right because they didn't elect the National Front. Marine Le Pen. Marine Le Pen got 34% of the vote, got through to the second round, 34% of the presidential vote, 34%. It's worth repeating over and over again. And it's worth pointing out that it's double what her dad got when he stood against Chirac in early 2000s and got 17%. So in what way is the 34% vote she got uh, a diminishing 
of the right-wing influence. Or I can give you the German election with 93 seats going to Alternative for Deutschland, a right-wing party. Or I can give you the Dutch election this year, where the right-wing party came second and increased its share of votes. Or I can give you the Scandinavian countries where... Okay, Tim. Etc. Right. Uh, So your point about them not coming to power, well, Mm. you know, you don't come to power immediately. All right. Is this um, culture exacerbated by, or differences in culture, exacerbated by an economic downturn? Yes. Uh, my, my, yeah, I contend that the, it was the British plan, wasn't it, to expand the EU to the ex-communist uh, countries? Yes. And in, and in a way... What the, what the British state wanted to do was to weaken uh, the, the, that, that kind of bipolar axis between Germany and, yes. and France. We, we, without that, we'd have no Brexit, would we? If we hadn't have done that, if we hadn't pushed for that accession of Poland, Hungary, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. when we did, uh, we wouldn't have any Brexit now. Uh, and I would say that we wouldn't have any Brexit regardless of the economic crash because Brits feel closer to Germans and, and the French and the Dutch and the Swedes than they do, dare I say it, to Bulgarians. No well, one ever complains yeah, the, 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 about... There's, there's an element of truth in what, you, what you're saying, but the British have spent the last 400 years trying to divide and rule in Europe, trying to make sure that there's no one block that is powerful enough to overrun the British. And there's so, there's a balance you, of power. Pardon? There's a balance yes. of power. And once you get inside the EU, you then look for who will support you as a block inside the EU to counter the Franco-German bloc. And the Brits have long had friends in Eastern Europe, and they have often been with them in the, in the way of thinking. And so it, it was, in that respect, working. But the British view of all this was of a single market uh, as an economic club that we were all, we loved each other and bought and sold each other's things. The British view was never for uh, a political union. And so the British wanted to expand the union to 28 and beyond, but not go for deeper political union. And when that started happening, some of them started to look for the way out. And, you know, at the moment, we are leaving. I mean, there are ways where we might not leave, but at the moment, we're leaving. Okay, let's have you at your most dystopian, right? (laughs) Um, What would... Tell me about the the makeup of the European Union at your most dystopian in 10 years' time, 15 years' time. Oh, I like like those those margins because, you know, you're probably not going to come back and tell me how wrong I was. Um, yeah. Let me think. In ten years' time, um, we'll probably have a multi-speed. In fact, less than that, a multi-speed European Union. By which I mean, probably an inner core, which is the core, it is the founding members, the Benelux countries, Germany, France, um, and they may be the ones that hold on to the euro. So mm-hmm. six, nine, twelve countries in the euro. So there's one speed. And the political core, again, two speeds. Outside of that, you've got people that are probably still inside the European Union, but are not inside uh, the euro and are not inside the political union. So there's three or four speeds. And then you'll have people on the outside, on the real periphery, 
which could be the British, depending on the deal that is done, uh, which have an associate status. So there's three speeds. Basically, I think we're going back to what it was at the beginning, a core with people joining for economic and trading reasons. But I am convinced that ever closer union and the United States of Europe is not going to happen. Mm. Um, you're convinced, so there's no point me trying to counter that with well, no, you can, hoping hang on, you. Ryfield, I don't. I'm not talking about what I want to happen. And, and this entire conversation, I'm not talking about what I want. I'm talking about what I think is the case. It's not that I expected it uh, you to say anything else other than that, Tim. That it's not what what you want, but it's what you what you perceive. So um, this kind of chimes with you and your book and uh, walls and fences going up. Fred, so uh, you know, again, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not happy that Serbia has fenced itself off from Macedonia. You know, that doesn't make me happy, but it, it's a reality that many European countries are, are fencing themselves off. I don't like it that the Saudis have completely fenced off Iraq, that the Indians have completely fenced off the whole the 3,000 miles of Bangladesh, etc., etc., um, which also is about most often about immigration and migration from Bangladesh into India, into the, uh, the eastern states. No, none of, the, none of these things uh, make, make me happy. Um, but, you know, I just don't see any point as a journalist in reporting the world as you want it to be. Yeah, but then that's what politicians have to say how they want things to be. I just say things how I believe them to be. And we are more divided now than we have been in my lifetime couple of quick notes because I'm a bore about two things history and also political geography so that Indian Bangladeshi border yeah. infamously there are thousands of exclaves uh, <laughs> and enclaves there so have they actually sorted out that border issue then? They've sorted out a lot of it as you would say there were thousands of exclaves and enclaves and um get a dictionary and look them up if you don't know I'm not sure I could define it to your satisfaction um, about three or four years ago uh, many of these issues were settled um, but they have complicated the borders and as the Indians have put fences including through some of the rivers um, and lakes and they've got underwater sensors and again people are saying hang on a minute your underwater sensor is on my side of this border because it's an exclave or an enclave. It, it, it has been incredibly complicated. But, the, you know, the, that's... It's detail, and detail is always interesting and required to understand things. But, you know, if you want if you want the headline, the headline is that India has fenced off Bangladesh. And then the other... The, my other kind of love... Um which kind of came to mind when you talked about Serbia, uh, were, is history and, uh, and monarchy. Monarchy as a symbol, mm -hmm. uh, as a continuum from the past uh, to the present and, and to the future. When these ex-communist countries became ex-communist countries in what the early 1990s, if you'd have said to any sage watcher of the region that some... 20 odd years later not one of these monarchies would have returned you'd have lost your money on that um how close are we with having the symbolic return of maybe the karadjordic uh, dynasty to serbia because these are all right-leaning countries aren't they or because i know that in montenegro the 
the ex-royal house actually has kind of semi-royal prerogatives. They they actually are in the palace, etc. Um, purely uh, just because it's Christmas and it's a little bit of a bauble. Um, how close do you think we actually are to having one of those countries in Eastern Europe um, have the symbolic return of its monarchy? Not very close at all. There you go. There's an end of that. Tim, as always, it's lovely having you on the show. Thanks, Rosie. <laughs> Um, so just before we, we started the show, you told me that you were watching a live stream of something pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. What was that, mate? Oh, I was watching the United Nations General Assembly debate, followed by the vote on the status of Jerusalem um, in, in Israel-Palestine, because, you know, this time of year, I know how to party. <laughs> And uh, so you, you got your book just about finished, sent off. Uh, you got all your Christmas presents wrapped? I'm fairly um, sanguine about Christmas. Um, you know, low key. Low key. Low key. All right. Will you be going home to Leeds or will you be in London or are you going to I go home somewhere? to Leeds every two weeks because I'm a season ticket holder at Leeds United Football Club. Um, so I'm up there. In fact, I will be there in two days' time. Uh, I go to. I've got a home season ticket. I've got an away season ticket. So I see Le- Leeds United every week, and I go to Leeds to see them every two weeks. You're doing so well at the moment, and, and my team is doing diametrically the opposite. Birmingham good. City are having a disastrous. Well, what do you mean, good? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why the hell we ever got rid of Gary Rowett, heaven only knows. But you've got a great manager up there and uh, it's a great club, Leeds. And hopefully uh, we'll see you in the Premiership. If not this year, maybe the year after. God willing. I have a theory on that briefly, Royfield. I have a theory on that. Oh, sorry about that. Um, the Premier League has got the initials mm. PL. So has the yep. promised land. And as you know, people from Yorkshire are God's chosen people. It is possible that the biblical prophecies of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was referring to the Premier League and not the promised land, in which case we've been out of the Premier League 12 years now. If if my theory is true, we've got some way to go. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, but you do deserve to be there. Tim Marshall, as always, it's absolutely wonderful speaking to you. We'll speak to you again in 2018, where we'll look at more world news and, and affairs. You can catch up with us on Twitter, where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show. Also on Facebook, you can go on a Facebook, type in Mid-Atlantic, and we are there. Also, don't forget, you can catch up with Tim and his great website, which is the com, where you have a weekly... Uh, roundup of kind of world affairs. See you all again in 2018. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.